1989, I was working for Allstate Insurance Company, and I was promoted into management. And like many companies, when uh, you move into management, there are certain skills and things beyond what they have already seen in you that they want to develop in you. Whether it's to indoctrinate you, per se, into the culture and the practices of that company, or whether it's they want to instill and raise up from within you maybe some of those natural leadership abilities. And so on several occasions, uh, they would fly me up out of Florida where we were living in Tallahassee to Chicago. And there they would run me through a week or more of various trainings. But I think it was 1989 when one of those trainings that I was sent on was that about learning to work together as a team. And the facility they sent us to was uh, north of Chicago. It was an old convent uh, that was turned into a training center. And there we worked together, people, managers from across the country, people I had never met before or did not know uh, in any way other than we all worked for Allstate. And here we were put together in an environment where one of the, the major elements that they used to try to help to teach us things were a ropes course. Now, I don't know if you've ever participated in that, whether just as a you know, fun event when you've gone on a retreat or maybe on a camp with family or something, but you know, it can be a, a tremendous learning experience and, and in a, a stimulating and a fun environment. The one that stands out uh, the most to me was that of uh, going to the trust platform. The trust platform was uh, built about five or six feet above the ground, and when it was your turn, you walked up or climbed up the stairs to the top of this platform, and you walked out to the edge, and you turned around, and you put your hands on your chest, and you were to fall back into the arms of those who were down below. Now, I have to tell you, part of the reason this was hard for me was I didn't have control. <laughs> I knew myself. I could trust myself. I knew my in intellect. I knew my wisdom. I knew my ability to discern things and to kind of sort things through. But these people, I'd only known them for a couple of days. And I was going to allow myself to fall six feet into their arms. i got to tell you, it wasn't really that easy to do. But it did teach me, along with those that I was in this training with, a lot about teamwork, a lot about us developing trust with others. Well, I tell you that story today because we are in part three of our series from the book of James, and today we are talking about in what do you trust? What is it that you, in all honesty, when you look at yourself, when you evaluate your life, no matter what stage of life you're in, what is it that you are placing your trust in? All of us sitting here place our trust in a multitude of things. Yeah, sitting here in church, we might want to right away, you know, say, well, I trust in God, Pastor. 
And I'm certain to a great extent that's exactly why you're here. But this word today comes at us and these words that James writes to these believers who are you know, new to the faith and struggling in the midst of the persecution they're in, calling them to again process, understand, and live the life of a believer and not to be tainted by, changed by, or influenced by the world that is around them. What is it that you trust in? In many ways, we struggle with letting go and trusting God. We hesitate to fall into His waiting arms to hold us and to sustain us and to protect us. Instead, we trust ourselves. We trust our strength. We trust our wisdom. We trust our experience, our knowledge. We trust our financial resources. We trust in all kinds of things in this world. James, a servant of the Lord, speaking God's word, he warns us that friendship with the world can lead to many unanticipated problems. All too easily, we can get caught up in the beliefs and the actions of others in this world. But in contrast, a humble relationship with Jesus means joy of experiencing grace in this life and for eternity. Yes, often our lives reflect that we're trusting in this world or ourselves instead of Him. We become blind to our sin and we even laugh at what we've done. I think to some extent that's part of what James is dealing with here. It'd be like me standing here before you this morning and saying, you know how fast I drove this morning? 82 miles an hour down 301. Don't worry, I didn't. But sometimes, isn't that almost, isn't that in actuality the attitude we take? We're kind of proud when we, you know, figure some way to skirt some rule or, you know, some standard or some expectation. You know, we, we, we tell ourselves, yeah, I got away with that. And we laugh. But God doesn't laugh. God grieves over you know, what we do. Jesus calls us in this text then, or the Lord does, through this saying, grieve, mourn, change your laughing to mourning. He grieves over what we do and how we fail to trust Him. And he grieves when he sees us suffering the consequences of trusting in things other than him. Yet oh, how we struggle with fully trusting the Lord. We say, well, I believe. We say, and we even have it on our money and, you know, elsewhere, right? In God we trust. But do we really? Our battle is real. Our love of the world is real. Our commitment to this world is evident in the way we spend our time and our resources. It reveals our trust in things of this world instead of God. God's word is calling us, saying, in all your ways, trust in him, and he will make your path straight. Or, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. 
These words written thousands of years ago still apply to us today, don't they? So what are sinners like us to do? Well, James gives us the answer. Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. In short, He's calling us to repent, to turn away from what we are doing, to turn away uh, uh, from trusting in ourselves or things of this world, and to trust in Him. You remember the parable of the prodigal son? The son who said to his dad, give me my inheritance, and off he went in wild living. But finally he came to realize the error of his ways, and he, he said he would go back and he would confess to his father and seek his forgiveness and be a hired hand. But the father in the parable, I want you to hear this, the father in the parable never stopped loving and watching for his son. When he saw his son coming over the horizon, he ran to meet him, and then he forgave him before he could even begin to express his grief and his apology for what he had done. Do you, my friends, see what he is calling us to do? To be honest about the ways we have not trusted him and have put our trust in the things of this world. Yet, yet, we are being called to repent, saying, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. For just as the father ran to his son who had repented, so God runs to us when we turn and we repent from trusting more in ourselves in this world than in trusting in him. I wonder if uh, maybe as we're walking through this, if you're beginning to see how trusting in the Lord and falling on your knees before the Lord is a wonderful posture to adopt. I grew up in a church that had kneelers. We would fold them down at the time of the confession of sin. We would fold them down and we would kneel at the time of our prayers. It's a very humbling place to be. It's a, also a very place where we are vulnerable. But I believe that in a sense is what he is reminding us of here. Humble yourselves. Bow yourselves down before him. For this is the only way that we'll ever get up on our feet. For it is only there at the feet of the one, God, one true God's hands that reach down in the person of Jesus that will lift us up. That rescue, my friends, was accomplished when Jesus stood under the judgment of the cross taking the blame for our sins. Jesus has lifted us up on our feet with his forgiveness. But where are we to stand now? James tells us, submit yourselves then to God. In a world that values freedom above everything, individual freedom, 
That, my friends, calls people to say, but that's no freedom if I have to submit to God. Truthfully, it's one of the reasons why sometimes there are not more people in churches. The idea of acknowledging I am dependent upon others, the idea of submitting to Him as Lord. Indeed. James tells us, submit yourselves then to God. It sounds like a form of slavery, but it's not. Our God is loving. Our God has compassion upon and protects us. And we know this is true by His recorded word and also by His experience, our experience in life. He's been there faithfully in the past. He's restored us and He's forgiven us in the past. And He hasn't given up on us yet. So James explained the truth when He said, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I've never spent a whole lot of time in snow. I mean, a few years in St. Louis and the snow kind of came and went there. A little bit in Nashville, which actually was worse than St. Louis because they have no idea how to drive there in it, nor do they know how to take care of the roads. But this reminded me a little bit of a story about two brothers who were once driving in the midst of a blizzard in South Dakota. And as they got on the road, they were following a snowplow. And, and as long as they were following it, things were going great. But, of course, the snowplow was not going near as fast as these two brothers wanted to go. And so they decided to pull out and pass it. And as soon as they did, they began to slide and to spin. And before they knew it, they found themselves on the side of the road. When they got back on the road, they pulled in behind that plow, who was both, you know, scattering the snow to the side of the road and casting sand. And they knew that as long as they followed in the path of that plow, their tri trip would be safe and they would get to their destination. In the same way, when... James tells us to submit to God. He's really saying, stand behind God's protective power. Don't think life would be better and more exciting if you swing out on your own. You're just going to end up slipping on Satan's temptations and end up somewhere worse than a ditch. No. Submit to God. Take your will, your intellect, take all that you have and all that you are and park it behind God's protecting wisdom and care. Position there, even Satan cannot defy you. For God shoves him aside easily as a plow does with the snow. And in only this way, in following in the Lord, will we get to our destination of heaven. Did any of you watch the uh, sitcom Seinfeld? You know, I've watched, I, I didn't watch it when it first ran, but now and then, you know, it's uh, one of those reruns that's out there every day, and there is some, definitely some honest humor looking at the realities of life and our behaviors. But there was this one uh, episode where Kramer comes sliding in to you know, Jerry's apartment, like he often did, and he says to, uh, to 
uh, Jerry and George, do you guys want to have some fun? <laughs> and right away, George uh, says, yeah, I want to have some fun. And Jerry says, yeah, I kind of want to have some fun. And then he says, do you really want to have some fun or are you just saying you want to have some fun? And George says, I really want to have some fun. And Jerry says, I was just saying I want to have some fun. And the question for you is, do you really want to trust in the Lord? Or are you just saying you want to trust in the Lord? My prayer for each of us today is that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit and God working in our lives, that we might trust Him today and into all of eternity. For indeed, He is that faithful, loving, and forgiving God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.